Welcome to Roto Pope episode number six. As usual, I'm your co-host Sean Birch, and I'm joined by the Roto Pope himself, fresh off his return from Seattle, Aaron Sauceda. Aaron, how you doing, bud? Hey, Sean, doing well. Yeah, exactly. We uh doing a little bit of abnormal record here for uh for the folks listening at home wanting to know the sausage making. We we've gotten into a nice little rhythm and cadence on Tuesday nights, but this week. Decided it made sense to go after the the couple of games on Tuesday and Wednesday um, to give a little bit more of a fresh take, give people more of a fresh taste of what's going on. So yeah, back back in the uh, Tri City area, how's uh, how's everything going for you though? It's going well, and you're certainly right. We always want to give people that top notch content that they know and expect from Roto Pope. So we had to bump oh, it yeah. back. Yeah. Uh, I take it you're probably a little tired right now because I'm going to be honest, dude. I'm still recovering from a couple day trip to Las Vegas over the last weekend. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I think I just got I've gotten used to it. Been doing this for uh, really like the last I don't know eight to nine months of fairly regular travel Monday through Thursday or so. So um, yeah, I mean, it becomes a little bit of a grind, but I think you build up a, a little bit of an endurance, and that's where I'm at. And I'm kind of, I mean, this is this is fun to do too. So it's uh, invigorating. Sure. And look, I thought I'd built up an endurance to Vegas because you know I've been going quite a bit since we turned 21. But dude, I think you know I'm getting I'm getting up there in age, man. I think I'm taking a, a step back because I've just been winning. Yeah. Um, well, I mean. You're you're washed now. You've got you've got a girlfriend. You're you're kind of MIA on the weekends. Having said that, um, I'm curious how how was the Vegas trip? Was it kind of the typical uh, guys trip to Vegas? A lot of betting, a lot of sports betting, a lot of blackjack. Uh, how, how was it? No. So look, I will say I did get hammered uh, when it comes to gambling, but I will say it was probably my favorite losing trip. Um, it wasn't a typical guys trip where it was just gambling, gambling, gambling the whole time. Uh, I did meet up with some of our, you know, local burnout high school friends in Vegas, but a few of us right, did. Right. I brought my girl with me, and we had a great time. I, you know, I showed her how to play craps. Um, but uh, the trip just kind of got off to a bad start right off the get-go, man. Where the whole week we'd actually been talking about: Do you split on eights when you get eights at blackjack? The book always says you do, right? And I always thought, like, yeah. look, if the dealer has a high card showing, maybe that's not great because you're probably going to get an 18 on both hands, and that's not a winning hand in the long run. So anyway, that actually happens very early in the trip. So I'm down 150 bucks right off the get-go because I split. I get, uh, I end up getting two 18s, but, of course, the dealer has a 9 showing, gets an ace to equal 20, and I'm just like, this is not going to be a good one for me. Oh, no. The, uh, oh, man, sorry to hear about that. That's all right. I did recover a bit on Sunday. Um, I was down about 700 bucks the first night, and I was kind of seeing stars. Um, I got it back to a manageable loss um, on the gambling front, and I even have a shot to be up if somehow the Rockets can win their series against the Warriors, which we'll Ooh. talk about in a minute. Yeah, um, definitely. Definitely. Well, the only other thing I was well, going to say. Anyway, man, tell me a good trip. Yeah, no, what else were you going to say about it? I was just gonna say, dude, like I even on the non-gambling front, dude, I was spending like there was no tomorrow, dude. You you would have been disgusted oh. with your business degree, what I was doing there. Uh, no, no. Yeah, man. So I'm talking $150 dinners. That's for two nights. <laughs> I'm talking oh. pizza runs two times. 
Forty-two dollars oh, on wait, what? by the Cosmo Pool. Wait, uh, what language is that? What, what, what was that? Yeah, that's right. So instead of going inside and getting a free pina colada by playing ten dollars worth of blackjack, we decided to get, you know, drinks uh, by the pool, treat ourselves a bit, and that cost forty-two bucks. Oh, uh, I was, was, was going to ask like, you that too. Oh yeah. Yeah, because we were there two days. The the one nice thing about the trip was the Cosmo upgraded us for whatever reason, and we had this top floor room. Oh, yeah, you said that. We got this. Uh, it was funny. They kept pimping this Japanese hot tub that was in our room, but Japanese hot tub, not to be racist, <laughs> but I think it was code for just mini hot tub because it was really hard to fit <laughs> in there. Uh, okay. Nice. Uh, yeah, I was I was gonna ask you a, a few things on that. Um, so I, I I was gonna say if you got the free pina coladas, which are which are amazing, but it sounds like you, you had to pay for them unfortunately. And then um, I was gonna ask you if you ended up staying at the Westin, which is kind of like near and dear to my heart because I'm an SPG guy, a traveler, and it's it's right Ooh. off the strip, so you kind of take advantage of basically being on the strip, but not at strip prices. Dude, what you're like thoughts there. People, I lump you in with those people that drive all the way out to the desert to stay at State Line. It's like, why not just, if you're going to Vegas, you got to go to Vegas. You can't do this half-ass trip that you like to pull off. Yeah, no, I, mean, I was going to say, uh, so I was, <laughs> I was just on mute there. I didn't, I didn't realize it, but uh <laughs> Yeah, I'll, I'll take your word for it. I, I, uh, I'm, I'm a big SPG guy. I like the value of being basically a block off the strip. Like you can see the Western <laughs> from the clink, and you're sure. right there, but you don't have to pay the Vegas prices quite as much. So it's it's a it's a good uh, mix oh, for me. I paid those Vegas prices all weekend, baby. Um, <laughs> for your, your first question in reverse. So look, the Cosmo had pretty good pina coladas, but they don't sniff how good the ones are at the win. And oh, look, yeah, there's no way they would. No, and look, here's an issue. Like the win, it's kind of hard to talk your girl into going there now after Steve wins had all these sexual harassment allegations. But I was joking. Ah, yeah, we pina colada that tastes like a Slurpee. Ah oh, man, yeah, I, I understand that. that. That makes sense. But damn, that that is a little bit of a bummer. Um, if if you didn't have anything else on that Vegas trip, though, I did want to ask you a little bit about your thoughts. Then, given that it sounds like you're you got a little bit of money riding on it, is the um, that Houston Warriors series right now? What, like, how what what are you feeling right now with that? I know. Um, so obviously, it's one one going back to Golden State. So Golden State's uh, assumed home home court, and um, you and I have been talking about this for a few weeks now. Yep. And you've been a little bit more on the Houston side. I've been a little bit more on the Golden State side, just in terms of what we thought would happen, not necessarily what we're rooting for. And um, yeah, I mean, it's it's hard to say right now, but I feel like as uh, as someone who's been touting the Warriors to be able to recover, I feel like I should feel a little better about that. But I don't know. What do you think? Do you uh, do you still like oh. Houston right now, or you feel like it's tilted back towards the Warriors? No, it's for sure tilted back to the Warriors. I'll walk you through my thought process on it a bit. So. Leaving Vegas, you know, I kind of was itching to put a bet down on Houston just so I could cheer for them. And they were a point and a half favorite in game one. Didn't really love that. So I was like, look, uh, they're plus 180 for the series. If they're going to win the series, they have to win game one. And I'll put a couple hundred bucks down on them, plus 180. The second they lost that first game, I was like, that, that was obviously a, a crap bet. 
Yeah. 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 Just having Kevin Durant, he's a human cheat code, right? Like you can have the perfect team designed to build him kind of like Houston does, but he's going to be four inches taller than everyone you have on him. And he's going to shoot right over him. They, they, I mean, they have the best team to guard a guy like Durant, right? Like, who else would be, who else is better suited to guard Kevin Durant than than Houston is right now? I can't really think of anyone. Um, I would say off the top of my know, head, maybe team really would like be LeBron. Yeah, right. LeBron, a healthy Kawhi, or maybe if they'd ran into OKC with Paul George. Yeah, yeah. And I was thinking even in the East, just to, I mean, I wasn't trying to combine it just to a Western Conference playoffs, but like maybe Giannis has the length for it, and I don't know if he's really a great defender, but if you if you dial him in during a playoff series, I could see him. Uh, given Durant fits relative to a lot of other players, but yeah, man, it's just, he's, he's nuts. I mean, is he, is he, is he the best player in the game? I don't know if KD is the best player in the game. I think that's still LeBron after, especially after this playoff run he's been on. Um, but I think just having him, right. He's a top three guy and you mix him in with Steph, who's the best shooter of all time, even if he is a little banged up. Um, I mean, that's just, it, it's deadly. Right. And I, I will say I feel a little better after game two where, the Rockets somehow they actually destroyed the Warriors' vaunted death they destroyed lineup. Destroyed them. Where they go yeah. small. Oh, they did. Okay. So oh, interesting. Yeah, I didn't notice that. I ran the numbers on it, and by me, I mean USA Today ran the numbers. <laughs> um, so look, in five playoff games leading up to that, the Warriors' small ball lineup was a plus thirty-four net rating. Right. Oh, yeah. In, in this one game, they were actually in minus 36, and their defensive rating was a 138. So they couldn't stop anyone on Houston. Oh, wow. Um, so, and after the game, PJ Tucker was talking a little crap, actually. He was saying that, you know, he he's like, he if they want to play game. small, he, he was excellent. And he was like, look, if, if they want to play small, that's, that's, you know, good for us. That's our game. And uh, I don't know if I would want to take that one game sample as a uh, harbinger of what's to come. Yeah, I don't think I would either. Uh, one thing that stood out to me was, um, I mean, Steph still doesn't look quite right out there. I, I know he's he's played okay, it feels like. Um, I mean, I'm, I'm pulling up the stats right now. He's still averaging, what, like 17 points a game, seven and a half assists. Right. But, um, I mean, only only 44% from the field. Some, I mean, he's, he's obviously better than this, but, like, I'm looking, I don't even know if I'm looking at something that's wrong, but like 15% from three. Like, he just doesn't look quite like the same guy so far. So that's, that's obviously a point in... The Rockets' favor, but then to something that you mentioned earlier, um, dude, Durant, Durant just looks ridiculous out there. He he kind of looks like it, it reminds me a little bit of remember I think it was LeBron's second year with the Heat, um, where all much peak LeBron, where it's still at the peak of his physical abilities, uh, mental abilities, but then all of a sudden like his jump shot was working perfectly as well. It was just the his absolute peak. I feel like we might be seeing that with Durant right now. We might be seeing peak Durant, and um, for sure, I, I think I think. Even, I mean, obviously the Rockets have some star power too, but just feel like they don't quite have that same level as Durant. And it, it might just be just purely because of Durant's size. He's just such a, a unicorn in, in his skill set at, at that size. Right. I, I almost think too much was made out of, especially in game one, everyone bitching and moaning about the the Rockets dribbling too much, not passing as much as the Warriors. And dude, D'Antoni said it. He's like, look, that's just the way we've played all year. And look, the Warriors, like, how hard is it really to come down, pass around a couple times, get it to Duran at the mid post, and he shoots over a guy, right? It's just they have a built-in advantage yeah. that's really hard to counter. Um, going back right. to your question real quick, I agree with you that he doesn't look, you know, 100% there, which is to be expected coming off of that injury. And what I really liked uh, from the Rockets, especially in game two, 
was they made a concerted effort to constantly go at Steph. So anytime they came oh, down, yeah. trying to get the switch where Steph was guarding either Harden or Chris Paul, and then they would go at him and drive to the rack. Um, and I think part of that, you know, kind of tired him out a bit because heading into the fourth quarter, he was on the verge of having his first playoff game ever, not even hitting a three. He, he just didn't seem like he had the yeah. legs for that. Game. Uh, that's a great point. I, um, you, you can use you, you, if you watch it you certainly feel it they're just constantly hunting him always running a pick and roll with his guy to to screen for usually harden but whoever it is to get that switch there was a couple of things that i thought were interesting there though I, I wonder why golden state isn't trying a little bit harder to avoid that switch it just feels like they're just totally accepting the switch i wonder if that's an adjustment that we'll see and then yeah. also um just to add some numbers behind that i think i saw something like they um steph was guarding uh, the ball handler in one-on-one situations like 23 times in game two. And mm. so um, I, I, f- I forgot how to contextualize that number properly, but I think the bottom line was that it was a really high number in terms of uh, having to guard that ball handler one-on-one. So they, they were just relentlessly going after him to get him in those one-on-one situations. Um, so <clears throat> I think certainly something for the Warriors to adjust to. And th- there's got to be a way to avoid that switch a little bit more. So a lot of times it's just guys like Trevor Ariza uh, screening him. And I know he's he's a a good three-point shooter, but I don't know if you have to worry about it so much where you can't, can't give him a single pocket of space. I think I'd rather have Steph hedge a little bit and and um, have someone go under the screen, whoever's guarding Dray- or whoever's guarding uh, uh, Harden, and then have Steph get back on a reason. I'd, I'd, I'd rather see them try that a little more. I think you're right on that. Just a few more things. So, one, uh, from the Rockets' standpoint, it feels like everything kind of broke perfectly for them last night where – Part of it was just they played their asses off and they deserved to win. But here's the thing. They made, you know, they had a plus 21-point advantage from the three-point line, but they were also going to the rack, so they made a few more free throws. I don't know if you can expect that every game, though, where P.J. Tucker scoring 22 points, Ariza's balling. Yeah. Eric Gordon can expect maybe to keep putting up the points, and he was awesome. Um, but, look, if you're someone like me that has money on the Rockets, you don't really anticipate that happening every game, especially when they're going to be in yeah. Oakland for Definitely not. But like oddly enough, though, uh, we we keep citing this the same model. Um, at least I do. I, I like to look at like what five thirty eight thinks of the series. So like, what what would you think they think right now if you haven't looked at it, or have you looked at it yet? I haven't. So well, yeah, what what would you think the, the um what would you think five thirty eight thinks in terms of who who's going to win the series? Like what like what rough percentage? Um, well, I'm, I'm thinking of it more in terms of Vegas, which I'll I'll try and translate, but. Vegas okay. had the Warriors as like a minus two ten favorite, and I okay. would say that probably translate. It's probably still consistent right now after taking one game on the road. I would say that five thirty eight probably is like a I don't know 65 percent favorite in this one. Like it seems like it's pretty stark right having an extra yeah. game. I, I think you're absolutely right in terms of translating the Vegas. So like minus two ten would I think roughly equate to something like that roughly. Um, but actually, 538 has it flipped. They still think what? that the Rockets have a 65% chance of making the finals and the Warriors a 35% chance. So oh. I know I know our own um, William Buck oh. was mentioning that something might have been off of the models and um, something like, I don't know what it is exactly, but it's it seems a little bit off. Wow. Well, I don't even understand that, though, because, I mean, am I doing the math wrong? The Warriors have three of the next five games in Oakland, and they rarely, if ever, lose right. it in the playoffs. Yeah, no, exactly. I think, I think, they, I think they're over, overweighting potentially the regular season because the Rockets obviously had an amazing regular season. The Warriors, not quite as much. Right. And so um, 
think it's one of those cases where just the quantitative model here, and again, it's just a public free model. So like you'll have people like Kralvis Walgaris who probably have much more sophisticated uh, models running for this that are probably capturing a lot more factors that just this public model probably isn't capturing. So I just I, I like to start at, start with it as just a, a baseline. I find it really interesting that they still think the Rockets have essentially a two time two times greater chance of making the finals from here out, which I, I don't buy at all. I'm, I'm totally with you. I think it's actually in reverse. Yep. Um, I will say I'm pretty fascinated to see on Sunday what adjustments are made. Like you said, do they find a way to hide stuff a little better on defense? Um, does he maybe just does his shot simply get going when he's at home? Uh, I don't. I, I don't really know what else there is for Houston to do actually, because it seemed like they actually tweaked quite enough in the second game where uh, I think your boy Haral Bob even mentioned it in, in game one. They were taking way too long to get into their offense, and then because yep. of that, they were taking shots up against the shot clock. Misses <clears throat> in game two, they were pushing the ball, getting it up, and Chris Paul did an awesome job. And it's almost ironic, right? Because you always tell Chris Paul, I always tell Steph Curry. In this one, dude, Chubbs was doing a great job of bringing it up and kicking it out. It to shoot it. Um, and I've yeah. always asked, you know, I have always said that Chubbs does a pretty good job of botting up Steph on defense. And I kind of hope, yep. you know, again, as someone that's betting on this series on the Rockets, I kind of hope that tires out Steph as the uh, games, you know, go on. Definitely, definitely. And um, so, so I know. Uh, Definitely with you there in terms of, um, and, and I know you have money on the series. So it's going to be hard to really talk about it, wrapping this up a little bit. So we can talk about the other series. If sure. you had to choose right now, are you, uh, are you going to stick with your rockets in seven? Or are you, uh, are you kind of forced to change now based on what we've seen in this series being one, one warriors taking home court back, et cetera. So look, it's really hard to actually see this like look from the Warriors' standpoint they kind of mailed in yesterday's game and it almost feels wrong to see the basketball gods reward them for just mailing in the game like that because they've been doing that all season right yeah having that i if i had to bet again right now <laughs> i would say the warriors probably <laughs> yeah i think so too oh man so can you so <laughs> I agree with you, but please tell me on the east side. Then that means that we will not be seeing Warriors Cavs. I don't think I can do it. And, and just to wow, give a little bit of context dude. to that, I that, can't. I, I just can't. I might be hopping off this podcast permanently after hearing that. I can't <laughs> believe a quote unquote Lakers fan <laughs> want to see the Celtics. Admit. Dude, you are you are a Clippers fan. Just admit it. You're a Clippers fan masquerading as a Lakers fan. I'm not. I just I uh, look. I, I get it. Laker fans are supposed to hate the Celtics in in every way, um, and do. I did also when one in we the played them in the final. Like you hate the Celtics, it's just they go hand in hand. I guess so. I mean, I feel like I feel like as um, as a Dodger fan, for example, I feel like there's in some ways you've been able to kind of appreciate what the Giants have done over the years, winning all those championships, and so it doesn't I think really want to see them win it though. <laughs> <laughs> well, no, it's not that I actively want the Celtics to win it. It's just like I just can't take another. Dude, we've seen LeBron seven times in a row. I can't do it again. I can't do a fourth Warriors Cavs in a row. Like I, I was so bored during the last couple, even though they did win one of them. Um, but I, I just can't do it again. I, I just do not want to see it. The Cavs stank too. Come on. Dude, we already know Give though that it's going to be, we already know that the East doesn't matter here. So I might as well see the team move on that. I hope at least has some shot at winning. I never want the Celtics to even be able to sniff a championship. <laughs> and by getting right around, they're a little too close for comfort for me. Yeah, they, hey, they are very close for comfort, and they're missing their their two best players as well. So that's uh, something that's certainly a little bit concerning for the for the future years. Um, 
which reminds me yeah. too we had been talking about this a couple of years ago and let's get into it right now that you liked the uh the, the, the lakers rebuild a little more than the celtics rebuild um yeah. i think this was after they got lonzo i think maybe Ingram. I, I can't remember now right i, I can't so, remember when we were talking about this but i couldn't when it was after they got lonzo or after ingram one of the two uh, probably after lonzo no, I think it was Ingram. I think it was about two years ago because oh, okay. I've started to circle up on this one. Yeah. Look, I'm not going to sit here and dissect <laughs> it with you. I'm pretty sure I was under the influence of drugs and or alcohol when I said that because <laughs> or just I was in complete honk mode because no one objectively could point and say that the Lakers rebuild is going better than the Celtics, right? They're two wins away from the finals, as you said, without yeah. their two best players. Yeah. By the way, they still have, I think, Four freaking picks next year, which scares the crap out of me I because know, dude. I know, right? If they really to, they could offer, you know, a godfather offer for Kawhi or someone like that. Yeah, yeah, they're in a great position. And and I will, I, I don't know if you were done there, but I will jump to your defense a little bit because it looks, in my opinion, sorry, idiotic in retrospect. Having said that, the this this rebuild really did accelerate in a very very crazy fashion over this last year. So there was a few things that happened. Jordan won, and they traded for Kyrie. I'm, I'm fairly certain we talked about this before they, they got Kyrie all of a sudden. Two is they signed Hayward in free agency. Three is they completely um, just robbed the, the Sixers as of now to get Tatum and the additional pick. So this has been like a really, really big year for Ainge and the Celtics that hadn't actually happened yet when we last talked about this. So um, it's a little bit unfair to talk about it now just because I think it is like so clearly in favor of the Celtics. And even if, in my opinion, it was back then too, it's um, a lot has changed that has really shifted it even further now. So I will, I will give you that at least. Sure. And look, dude, Ainge straight up swindled. Like he's like a Mormon mafia oh. guy now, because according to our boys yeah. down low earlier in the week, they were dead set on taking Tatum, even if they stayed at number yeah. one to wrangle yeah. another pick high pick right out of this was just nuts. Yeah. Um, and, um, he, you kind of feel bad a little bit for Sixers fans, right? Like you had Pinky, who was like the a very no. sound process guy. Like we're not tricking this away. Or maybe you don't feel bad for the Sixers fans, but well, you kind of feel bad. Like at least if you were a big fan of that process, you're just like, oh God, like they had, they had to go away from Hinky and this is what happens. Right. So this is the annoying part about the Sixers, not to go off on a tangent too much, but the second that the process was right about to pay off, right? They got rid of Hinky. Yeah. Well, this new front office gets to get all the credit, which to me doesn't make a lot of right. sense. Because I don't think they've actually That's made it. that many good moves, as we just said with this oh. angel. We think that was a shit move. Oh, yeah, yeah, they've like they're they're they've a net negative impact so far. Right, they're coasting off of Embiid, Sarich, and Simmons, who yeah. were all hinky. I mean, hinky technically wasn't Simmons, but he was the reason they got right. that pick. Yeah, and there's no way they weren't taking Simmons with hinky. There's no way. Right. He was clearly the um, one there. So look, yeah. real quick, back to the Celtics and Cavs. The Cavs play better at home, but I'm trying to kind of rack my brain the last day or two and see what the Cavs can actually do because they got the monumental LeBron game in game two. He had a 40-point triple-double, and they still Yeah. So what, what do they need, right? So yeah. to fairly obvious things. One is they need to get you know freaking something from their backcourt. They've had, I think, a combined 14 points in the first two games from their starting backcourt. And that's a three for game two. That's nothing, right? Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. I mean, dude, they're, yeah. They're, like, no, I just mean their, their backcourt stinks. It's like George Hill, Clarkson, Rodney Hood, Corver. The only guys that are playing over there so far are LeBron and, and to a slightly lesser extent, Kevin Love, who's, who's playing decent right. in the series. 
He is, yeah. They really only have two guys on offense that you feel good about. And when it comes to defense, the Celts, you know, we were just talking about switching in the other series. The Celts have done a really good job of any time the Cavs have their three crap defenders on the floor, which are Love, Korver, and to a slightly lesser extent, George Hill, who had a bad year defensively, they constantly seek out that switch. And I don't know what you do if you're the Cavs because to put your best offensive team on the floor, you're also fielding a horrible defensive lineup. Right, exactly. And and just like we were talking about with the Rockets, we, we may have spoken a little bit too soon. I think at least at least at the top of my head, there's probably two teams that are best suited to deal with LeBron and Kevin Durant, and that's probably the Celtics and Rockets have to be among those top five, right? Like the, the Celtics have tons of those switchy three, four guys that have good size, good athleticism. Um they've got a really nice mix to I feel like Mark Marcus Smart kind of does a nice Jason Kidd impression like back in the day when he was guarding Kobe and uh, I think it was 11, 2011. Um, a little bit smaller but thick. Um, and then you've obviously got like guys like Jalen Brown and Jason Tatum and even Horford, Marcus Morris. Like they're, they're not necessarily the best defenders. I, I, don't, I wouldn't quite put them in the same class as some of the Houston defenders, but they've got that size and bulk to give LeBron different looks. And I think they even throw Ojale on them sometimes too. So um, I feel like they for this and – I'm just curious what you think is going to happen here. The last year is uh, curious what you think 538 thinks because um, they certainly have thoughts on this. I don't know, dude. I don't treat 538 as gospel like you guys do. So, and especially <laughs> during that nonsense, right? That, that sarcastic I article know. you just told me about. I don't know if I would even want to know, but go ahead yeah. and just tell me. So, so Celtics, uh, 76% chance of making the finals. Uh, Cavaliers twenty four percent chance. I actually I, think that's fair to be honest. I do too. Right. I mean, look, the the Cavs have to win four out of the next five. That's yeah. kind of tough. It look like they just don't look good. Like they're not that good, man. I don't even know how they're this far. It's all LeBron, I guess. He's been amazing, but the rest of the team just stanks. Uh, outside of Kevin Love, and yep. I don't know. It's someone's gonna have to step up, and I don't know. I don't know who it's gonna be. They don't really. Like they they just don't look good. even guys that score sometimes like um, Clarkson here and there kind of looks decent from a scoring perspective, but he's just such a negative out there on defense. And he's such a ball hog. He got a DNP the other day. Yeah, I mean he's only playing yeah. below. I mean him, Rodney Hood, yeah. this trade they did. Uh, even there, uh, been just absolute crap for them. Yeah, yeah. So you're so you're taking the Celtics, and you think we're going to see the Celtics Warriors finals? I think we are, and I'm going to have to choke down my vomit to cheer for a Warriors sweep in uh, that. Uh, yeah, that's, that's going to be a tough one. One more thing I want to throw at you before we switch over. Um, you know, as a Lakers fan, the resident Lakers fan here, I've been kind of racking my brain trying to see, is there any silver lining to how good the Celtics are doing right now? The only thing I can really think of oh. is, look, to integrate, I guess, not I mean, Kyrie, he's been playing with them all year. He'll be fine. To also integrate Gordon Hayward next year, especially when these wing guys have really been balling out. I mean, do you think that might be an issue at all, yeah. or maybe not? Not enough of, um, no. you know. I don't think so. I, I think I think that's like getting too cute with problems. I feel like that's just an amazing problem to have, where you've got oh, we've got too many good wings, we can't figure out a way to get them all the right playing time and figure it out. And uh, I feel pretty good if my coach was Brad Stevens. Is, is that that's like the tactician strategist who needs to figure it all out? So no, unfortunately, I'm I'm finding it hard to see that. Uh, my brain actually went to something kind of odd and i don't i don't buy this at all so it's like just one of those thinking out loud kind of things that um i I don't totally believe in but i was thinking like i wonder if 
you know, someone like LeBron, for example, who obviously has some big decisions to make this offseason, looks at a team like the Celtics, where they already have a lot of young talent. Uh, they've got Kyrie and Hayward coming back next year and potentially adding more talent. I wonder if he thinks that <laughs> somehow the West would be a better place to go with the Lakers, but no, nah, not with, not with the Warriors and Rockets. So yeah, I'm I'm to answer your question, no, I'm finding it almost impossible to think of some silver linings here. Right. I almost think LeBron looks at his potential LA move. Like, let's say he does come to LA. It's for more reasons than clearly just basketball, right? He's doing it because yeah. he's setting up his media empire and it's for the next phase of his career. Basketball would be yeah. an ancillary part almost. Um, but then again, LeBron has shown with this poo-poo platter of players this year and with Cleveland all the way back to 2007 when they went to the finals that as long as he's healthy and balling, like he can drag pretty much anyone to the finals or at least a competitive season. Yeah. No, I mean, it's fair enough, but then again, I mean, he's what 33, like the, like they say, father times undefeated. I don't, I don't know how long he's going to be able to keep that up for. I don't either, but who knows if he actually believes that. I almost wonder if this helps magic Johnson's pitch, right? He could almost say, look, you could be the rebirth of the next wave of Lakers Celtics finals matches. Right. And have fun with that. Yep. Be right. Kyrie and, uh, Maybe Lord willing, LeBron match up in the next year or two in the finals. Yeah, yeah. No, that'd be interesting. The, the only thing though is, um, in terms of LeBron, maybe maybe it really is about what you were just saying. It's not really about basketball so much as it is just positioning himself for like the next phase of his career and more other like other kind of monetization opportunities for his brand and, and for himself. So at, at that point, obviously, LA makes a lot of sense, and plus, LA is not not bad to live in relative to Cleveland, especially. But yeah. um, from a basketball standpoint, wouldn't you think? I would think like somewhere like Philly would be uh, somewhere where um, yeah, but, a guy like LeBron would, would think about going now. And look, I think LeBron is really smart and he knows that he's brought Cleveland the title. So he kind of has a get out of jail free card here where oh, yeah, for sure. Business. I don't know if you can really spin the Philly thing. You know, people have also talked about Houston. I just don't see it. Like I can't picture that storyline yeah. because it kind of looks like he's just hopping from team to championship. Team. Exactly. Yeah. The LA thing, you right. can't really argue that he's jumping to a team that's immediately ready to win a title. Yeah, so maybe, maybe that's where it's easier for him, where it's clearly about something else. It's not just him purely ring hunting, like there's way more meaning to it. But at the same time, there obviously is... It's it's not terribly hard to see a situation in which that, that team becomes more competitive, so... Right, no, um, it's kind of like it's kind of almost like right. when he went back to Cleveland, right? Where yeah, you know, yeah. Kyrie, they're on the come up a bit. They're able to get the first pick and trade for Kevin yeah. Love. But LeBron's smart, man. He's gonna figure out a way to wherever he goes, make them uh, at least a contender. Yeah. Oh, I'm sure he will. I'm sure he will. But um, I mean, that's we'll see. So I, I think we're both kind of agreeing that it's probably going to be a Warriors Celtics finals, and I'll admit that I'm not totally looking forward to it, but at least somewhat intrigued by the idea of a, a different finals in the last three years. I know you're dreading it a little more so than I am. Um, shall we talk some baseball though? Do talk it. some baseball? Yeah. All right, let's do it. Let me, uh, let me go get the, um, the guy. I've, we didn't actually mention it yet, but we we're going to have a guest on the show. So let me go, let me go grab him and we'll, uh, we'll be back shortly. Sounds good, bud. All right, welcome back to Roto Pope, episode number six. We have brought on our resident fantasy baseball expert, because if you thought it was just the Roto Pope here, <laughs> you're wrong. We actually have Roto Pope Jr. with us, Anderson Sauceda. Anderson, how you doing, bud? 
Not too bad. Not too bad. Uh, you know, first off, I actually want to say on the pod, congratulations on graduating from Haas School of Business up there at Cal Berkeley. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. It was definitely a wild ride for the past couple of years for me, but happy I'm uh, finished with that. And now you can focus on really important stuff in, in life like fantasy baseball. Yeah, I'm at a, uh, I'm in a I'm in a grudge match right now for uh, Trout, but unfortunately, it looks like uh, SLL might be a lost season for me and Aaron right now. Yeah, we'll I, see. I, I think he's always just I think he's always focused on this Trout league too much. He's always up at the top, and then we're sitting <laughs> on the fucking bottom at SLL, and not spending enough time there. <laughs> I mean, the, the, pro- the problem is SOL really uh, takes out my core competency of being able to like, pivot my strategy really easily. That's uh, right. one thing that I've basically been able to do pretty effectively for the past few years. And uh, SOL really limits my ability to do that. So struggled a lot more in SOL than I have in Trout for the past. Well, why don't we talk about that real quick before we get into the players? So Studs, this year, looks like you started off by just you know, completely punting on saves. And does that mean you're kind of hinting that you'll switch back and focus on saving in the second half of the year? Uh, I mean, I'm starting to like slowly ease it in. The way I looked at it is like uh, for the draft, I spent huge on pitching in general. But you know, whenever you spend huge on starting pitching, you're gonna get a lot of injuries. So like, uh, I already had a missed week from Degrom. Uh, I have Robbie Ray on the DL right now. Uh, so I, I was expecting stuff like that to happen. Um, so like now I'm starting to slowly ease. Like I have two guys in my lamp right now that are for saves and holds. Like I I got my boy Bud Norris off the wire. Uh, that was a nice ad for me. But um, I figured I have like a really nice. Like I, I have like the most innings at like 70 innings, but I also have like the highest K per nine, for example. So it's a really nice baseline to start with, and then just start slowly mixing in these closer types. Good stuff. Um, and look, uh, you know, we brought you on for your expertise. Who do you want to talk about today? Who are some of the guys that have caught your eye recently? Uh, I mean, basically what I, what I was telling Aaron is I really would have uh, basically enjoyed like uh, sending you guys the list of my entire team and just had a deep dive of all those guys instead of me having to do the deep dives on all of them. Um, mm-hmm. So the, the couple I sent him were uh, Franchi and Schwarber because I just kind of wanted more information on those two guys. Um, those are two, uh, mainstays on my now new team name. I was Fat Bertol, but now I'm the real Gotani. Uh, yeah, um, but you have to look at the logo. The logo really adds to it. I have, I have Otani with like the goat horns and ears coming out of it. Speaking of Otani, Um, he just hit a dinger. Yeah, literally just hit one. I need to start getting this guy in my lineup. Yeah, I I can jump in a little bit on, uh, Schwarber, by the way. I feel like I don't know. I, I like this guy. I think so. You probably got him probably not that expensively. He probably didn't go that expensively in uh, SOL either. He he does gain a decent amount of value. I think in our leagues we play on base and slugging, so he's like a he he's a little bit he strikes out a little bit. I mean he's had a twenty five percent this year from thirty one plus in years past, so um, not terrible there. But he's kind of a low average guy, so he's in two forty one so far this year. And uh, but he's walking like sixteen percent of the time, so he's been pretty nice in, in on base leagues. Uh, is on base 362, slugging 474, so really nice for our league, and uh, definitely been pushing up those walk games a little bit, striking out less, swinging strike rate down as well. So all of those signs are good, but I mean at the same time, he's what is he even an everyday player? Isn't he? I mean, he's a lefty, and then a lot of times, uh, or he bats lefty at least, and, and Madden likes mm-hmm. to move around that lineup a decent amount outside of Chris Bryant and Rizzo. So I mean, he's solid, but I don't know if I'd pay too much for him. Yeah, uh, and someone that did pay too much for him last year. 
Look, he did end up hitting 30 bombs last year, but he's on pace for a better overall year this year, right? He's walking more, he's striking out uh, much less. You know, he's down about 5 6% on the strikeout rate. Um, I don't know. Is this, is this something that's going to continue the whole year? Uh, that's it. Well, I mean, the, the part that's me most about Schwarber right now. Oh, wait, sorry, say that. Uh, his ex slash is down a little bit. His, uh, his ex slash is a little bit lower than his actual. I don't think I have to say that there with him. The, the part that scares me most about him is he's uh, he's like, like uh, 15% of his fly balls and like like largely grounders and line drives. So it's just like, yeah, I really want this guy to hit the ball in the air more. But I, like, I was a huge fan of him. You know, I still think he's like a. I still think he could be like a 350 on base with like a 510, 520 slug for the rest of the year. So I'm still pretty high on him. Plus, uh, I hate using the narrative, but really he's like a best shape in his life type of guy right now. So uh, just hoping that can convert because now he's not as negative on defense. So it's a little bit more justifiable to keep him out there on a closer to everyday basis at least. Let's uh, switch over to your boy Franchi for a minute because – Look, now that I'm dating a girl that's from San Diego, I've paid more attention to the Padres. And the first thing I've noticed is that just, good God, is that a depressing franchise to cheer for for the last 50 years. So any player that might have a you know a glimmer of hope for them, I kind of, you know, I get excited about now. So is Franchi one of those guys? I think he's like a, a really like toolsy guy. Like he, has, he hits the crap out of the ball a lot of the time. He strikes out a ton. So I mean, you get you get the definite trade off with him that uh, you get with like these new like uh, Gallo types, where it hits the ball super hard, hits a ton of fly balls, but then uh, also strikes out a ton. Um, he doesn't walk nearly as much as Gallo, though, unfortunately. But uh, yeah, I mean, he he has like a really nice power speed combo. Um, the thing I like most about him right now is actually he, he's just been okay since like we got him in uh, SOL and since I've had him in Trout. But uh, we chose him over Keenan Middleton, who has, who's getting TJ now, so he's out for the year. Um, so that that yeah. is like looking really nice for us now, having a guy who we can plug in our god awful outfield instead of <laughs> another hurt player on our bench. Yeah, yeah. I'll, I'll have to give such credit on that one too because I was leaning Keenan Middleton and. Uh, I feel like we every year we, we make the wrong calls in those supplemental drafts that we do, which essentially act as like a, a monthly waiver wire period. So it's nice to have him. But um, I mean, just adding on, like Sud said, he, he strikes up, which is somehow down from last year. He was forty four percent last year. So definitely has a lot of holes in his swing, but he, he's making adjustments. He's improving, and uh, when he does get a hold of the ball, he just he, he just gets the shit out of it. So I think he's um, He's got the 11th highest max exit velocity so far this year of 116.9 miles an hour. So um, definitely once he gets a hold of that ball, he's he kills it. Just a matter of him continuing to make adjustments in the strikeout rate. He's walking more this year, too. He's actually got a plus uh, walk rate at 10% right now. So he's an interesting guy. And actually, um, I think if, if uh, hopefully you and Maddie continue to work out and more, I think in the next coming years, this is actually a pretty interesting team. Uh, I think Seds would agree, though. They've got um, they've got quite a few interesting prospects coming up. Where you have Tatis Jr., Luis Urias. They've got a lot of interesting guys. <laughs> I mean, they're they're a pretty highly rated uh, farm system, but unfortunately, yeah, it might be uh, like ten years down the road, assuming they could actually develop all this talent. So, uh, 
Yeah, the the weird part with Franchi is ever since he came on, I've actually heard a couple people talking where it's like, like, is it is it time to give up on Margot already? Which seems crazy to me. Ooh. Um, I don't know if I would go on Margot yet. I mean, I already think they're idiots for signing Cosmer, but um, definitely that I think they'd be even bigger bigger idiots if they give up on Margot already too. Yeah, I'm with you there. Can I can I throw someone out there real quick uh, before we shift to a few other guys? Because just speaking of giving up on someone, I mean, should the Rocks be throwing in the towel on Ian Desmond right now? Because we're up to, you know, 500 plate appearances for him now over the last two years, and he has been just absolute crap. He's got a negative two war, and he is just bad, man. He's got a 32 WRC plus going right now. Jesus. I mean, if I if I were them, like, uh, the, the downside is, like, they, they commit kind of a lot of money to him. Uh, so it's kind of like the, the Pujol syndrome, if you will, where it's just like, you know, this guy's a really, like, terrible hitter, but shit, we're paying this guy a lot of money, so therefore we should have him in our lineup. Um, yeah. But, but, I mean, I think at some point you just got to take the sunk cost. Uh, they had, like, McMahon up earlier this year. That was, like, my boy coming into this year as, like, a like a pretty potentially high-end prospect. But then he wasn't playing very well because, like, like, they aren't giving this guy regular PAs. They're, like, starting this guy's service clock to sit him on the bench, like, four out of five days. So I don't understand why I don't give him a shot there or – you know, like like they had Mark Reynolds last year, who gave them a lot of a lot of production. Like you can get so many cheap first basemen. I, I don't understand why you pay up for Ian Desmond there. Yeah, well, and here's yeah. the thing, though. Like it's just bizarre because he was good. So in four of the last five years, I think leading up to when he joined the Rocks, he went twenty twenty, and he's only thirty two right now. So it doesn't really seem like he should be crashing and burning the way he is right now. Yeah, it's bizarre. I mean, you you had to have been pretty excited when he went to Coors, and admittedly, I was actually pretty in on this guy coming into this year, thinking he was an automatic rebound candidate. There were reports last year that he came in, he got, I think he, I think he got hit by a pitch on his wrist, missed some time. He, he started off the year slow, and, it, and just reports where he just was never quite right, he never went healthy. So the narrative this option was he's healthy, coming into Coors, he's still young, he, or he, not young, but he's still pretty he's fine. But no, I mean, he's basically repeating what he did last year. I mean, he's hitting. 64% ground balls, which is somehow up from last year. And given that he plays in course field, you might want to get the ball up in the air over there. Um, and one thing that I like to do sometimes is if, if a guy isn't performing, I'll go look at his expect, expected stats, which basically uh, gives a guy just average, basically gives some average outcomes based on his exit velocity and launch angle. And um, no, I mean, you look at that in both of his last two years, even his expected sets quick shit. So um, this is one of those cases, if you want to go by, it's, it's got to be fairly based on my face. There's really nothing suggesting a turn on his end in, other than the fact that he's done this before and he plays on tours. Otherwise, um, I, I'd definitely be staying away. And if someone wants to talk to me, I speaking that they might be getting something, uh, I'd probably be selling at 80 cents on the dollar if, uh, if I can get it. <laughs> Aaron, who are some of the other guys you'd like to talk to Suds about when it comes to fantasy right now? Well, so one guy that's really sort of pissed me off a little bit um, and is not really a microcosm of, of what's going on, but um, I mean, just this, this whole team is sort of in disarray right now. I got swept by the Reds in a four-game series at home recently, and that's Cody Bellinger of the Dodgers. So he's, uh, he's kind of my big freeze piece in, in, the, um, in the Trout League we playing together. So I got him last year, so I froze him for 15 bucks this year. I thought he was going to be a nice anchor for me this year and next. And um, I think it's just a little bit frustrating. I mean, his stats don't look terrible. Still in 270. Uh, 
still swinging 478, but not quite the guy we saw last year, so I just don't know what's going on with him. I mean, but before even uh, going into what the the stuff that he's been doing this year, I just want to point out that like uh, I really should have gotten Bellinger on that ad last year. I got outbid by like one fab. I was pissed. We were the only two that uh, put a claim in, so really should have made a bigger piece oh, yes. on my championship squad last year. But uh, even past that point, um, the weird part about him this year is like if you if you just look at like those those X stats that you're mentioning earlier. Um, he does not look good so far, in, like in terms of, um, like as like his uh, regression this year is actually like not as bad as his XX suggests it should have been. Like his XX looked pretty bad this year. Um, like he would, he should have like a two thirteen, two seventy seven four oh four triple slash, where instead he has a two seventy three thirty four seventy eight. Um, so even as as mediocre, not bad, but as mediocre as he's been this year compared to expectations, he should have been a, a lot worse according to these X stats. Yeah, yeah. I, I just know I, as a Dodger fan, right? Like, like you said, Aaron, his stats aren't too horrible right now, but his slugging's down 100 points. So is his ISO power right now. And, you know, he got benched for not hustling in a game a few weeks ago. It's just – it's almost like a microcosm of the entire Dodgers season where it's just, it's been underwhelming to say the least. And it looks like it's the season from hell and it's, I'm already to the point where I'm writing it off. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know. I mean, seriously, like I, one of our board bets, by the way, was that you were saying the Dodgers weren't going to make the playoffs. I said they were. I'm, I know I've been quoting this a lot this podcast, but the Dodgers, um, 538 still thinks they have a 24% shot at making the playoffs. So same as like, all of a sudden, well, I'm not, not, I'm not going. I'm going worse than I was last week. I should say. I, I thought I was in a good spot. Not feeling great right now. Um, is, the only thing I would add on is that something to do with losing four straight to the Reds and two to the Marlins? Uh, <laughs> I don't know. I'm sure that has somewhat of an impact on the model. Um, People have been calling the Marlins a minor league team this year so far, too. Yeah. God. But, uh, yeah, Brooks, I mean, I, I still like Bollinger a lot. I think what we're seeing is he might have produced a little bit at the higher end of his uh, range of outcomes last year. Um, yeah. I think we're, I think we're, we might be seeing the, the lower end of his right now. I mean, a lot of things still look really good about his profile. He's actually kind of strike rate a little bit. He's walking less, which um, you'd rather see that working with the I mean, he's only 21 last year, so it's, um, he's, he gets a little bit older. You'd expect some of those focus and efforts to turn the right direction, so you don't want to see that go down. Um, and he is being less five balls, so he was close to fifty percent last year. He's gone down by about five percent this year, so that's not a good development. Um, hitting the ball slightly less hard last year, so just the, the, those things are just guys last year to just a very solid player this year. So maybe the guy's still only twenty-two. I'm 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 not really worried about this year. Um, I'm probably not going to get the same guys last year, unfortunately, and it's we're already seeing the impact on the standings. Um, I'll, I'll give you Clevenger for him and Trout if you really want to get out of that chair, by the way. I'm, I'm okay with doing that trade. Just had some more uh, outfield for me. I'll pass. We probably got time for at least one more guy if you wanted to uh, talk about anyone. I know you had mentioned um, a couple potentially. 
Yeah, I'll throw one more out there just because I can toot my own horn a bit on this one, which is Crone, <laughs> who just had a massive revenge game against York Angels. Um, he had his first deal of the year. He had a combo meal because he also hit a dinger. And, you know, right now he's on pace for 42 homers, and he's got a pretty nice slash going too, 290, 340, and more than 500 slugging. So is this just a flash in the pan, or is he someone that's shown he has power in the past and just needed more consistent playing time? I mean, uh, uh, <clears throat> go ahead. You can go, Aaron. Yeah, no, I was just going to say, I mean, th- this was a guy where um, – he was always projected to be kind of a power guy. I mean, he's a big dude, 6'4", 230 pounds, and he was a first-round pick back in the day. Uh, the Angels, the Bay Angels. Uh, he, he never seemed to get a full shot to, to really be an everyday player. I think now with the Rays being sort of cheap, they and Pujols not blocking him with that giant contract, he's got a little bit of a chance to play every day. But, um, I mean, looking at some of the stats he's, he's done in the past, he's in about like, 16 homers for every four play defenses. So, I mean, that's like roughly, uh, I'm trying to do the math a little bit, about 24 homer cases. So, I think he's definitely exceeding that right now. I think I'm looking at, he's already banked 10 homers. He had another one tonight, so he's probably at 11. The rest of the season has him at roughly another 17, 18 bombs. So, 30, 30 this year with, uh, with a few slate playing time. And nothing really stands out that he's doing differently. I mean, I, if I had a guess, it's probably, he's probably hitting the ball in the air a little bit more. Um, not not terribly so, and he's hitting the ball a little bit harder this year too. So maybe making more of that contact count. I think this is really just a, a case of this guy getting a little bit more of an opportunity to play more, um, and you know, just he's also matured a little bit as well. He's, he's in kind of the the core of his prime here at twenty eight. I think we're just year that maybe he always had the potential to do, and it's just coming together now. Um, yeah. But- the weird part to me about him is like he he's hitting like eleven percent more ground balls this year, um, which is just like weird. Uh, that that like his his BABIP has gone up, which I guess makes more sense because he's hitting more grounders than he was before. So you're you're probably more likely on base and just popping the ball up all the time. Um, yeah, I just think it's kind of like a weird profile. Like a, again, his his X stats don't look great compared to what they are currently. Uh, it says like his on base and slug should be like two ninety nine and four twenty four compared to where it currently is. Um, but yeah, it might just be a guy where uh, Angels found a way to botch him really quick, and then he finally gets a taste of a different organization decides to go nuts all of a sudden. How do you guys feel about talking about this ESPN piece real quick? Because, you know, as someone that invested in Mike Trout this year, you know, I'm, I'm pulling for him to have a, a just a completely balls-out year. Um, and ESPN said he's on pace right now for the best season of all time. Uh, even surpassing some of these old school Babe Ruth years. Um, I don't know. Like, look, I watch a lot of baseball and he's obviously having a great year, but is this really the best year ever? Um, I don't know. It just doesn't feel right to me, especially when you consider some of these classic bonds, Ricky Henderson, uh, maybe even a rod seasons that happened. Yeah. I mean, the, the big thing with it is I, I think it's because he like the war really gives a lot of credit to people who do a little bit of everything. So like, like bonds, for example, is never a very good defender. Whereas trout's like a pretty solid, if not really like really good defender. And then um, right. I, I'm, I'm not actually 100% sure if war changes like by the year um, as in like if the replacement level changes, but I would guess that the replacement level for, 
like you know like 40 40 wasn't uh, it was still like pretty crazy but it wasn't like a totally crazy thing back in the day um whereas now like you know, if Trout was able to go 40-40, just, I don't think he'd be able to go 40-40, but if he was able to approach that, um, it's just, like, a lot more absurd today than it used to be. Back in the Royds era, at least. <laughs> right. Brixie, I think, so I, re- I read that piece, and I think Trout excels in a lot of ways that aren't painfully obvious. I mean, some of the, some of his greatness is very obvious, but like, things like that where, that we as fans are able to do nowadays with Exit Velo, you, you can go to... Um, like stat cast, you can go to like baseball savant and sort by average exit below, and he doesn't necessarily show up as a top guy there. He, he just does a lot of things really, really well, and, and specifically with war, I think what that article, that sarcastic article, was getting at was that um, he's, he's he's on pace for the best war season since Babe, Babe Ruth. I think right. he may have slowed down since I was last calculated. So I'm looking at it now, and you kind of multiply out his current war to 162 game pace, it goes to about 11, which is still amazing. It would represent a career high. But um, not quite. I think the, I think the article was talking about like twelve to thirteen more as being the, the, the peak. Of, I think it was actually fourteen. So um, yeah, my then yeah. So it's it's pretty crazy. But um, I think I think a lot of it comes down to basically what Silky's saying is first does so many things as well. Um, a lot of it at, at the plate, but then there's also some some smaller nuance where there's base running involved as well. He's just a really smart base runner, so things um, things that are kind of obvious. Where he hasn't even been caught stealing this year, for example, is one thing. But he just also generally speaking, a very good efficient base runner at converting runs on the base paths. Uh, doesn't really ground into many double plays, which is another thing that's part of war. And then also his defense as well. So I think it's just a, a confluence of all those things. And um, I mean, if you look at his profile, he's walking more than he strikes out, which is pretty nuts. He's he's been trending the right direction there every year, and he, he seems to bring his walk rate up every year. He seems to take his strike route strike rate down a little bit every year. And um, I don't think this is totally out of the blue. I mean, it's not like we've always known he's great, but last year he was actually kind of on pace for a similar type of year. Yes, he was. Yeah, I mean, he was still great, but he just he just missed that time. So I mean, this is just kind of a continuation of that essentially. And if he stays healthy, I think we're. Look, it's got to be like auto MVP, right? So we also might be looking at that uh, that all-time great year. I think so. Suds, what do you think? So the, you guys broke it down well for me because as a baseball nimrod, I think the way for me to look at it is, is he's kind of like this era's or, or the baseball equivalent of Tim Duncan, right, where a lot of the stuff he can that you don't even see, right? So the defense and just the, the smaller parts of the games that might go overlooked. Yeah, I mean, uh, he definitely shows more emotion than Tim Duncan, so that's one way he definitely uh, differentiates himself. Like, I could just imagine Duncan dunking on five people at one time and just still running back with that completely straight face. Um, but yeah, with, with Trout, the, uh, <clears throat> I, I don't know, he's just, uh, I, I think he, he really is just like the perfect war player, basically. Um, like, it, it's almost like it's built for, for a game like his, so... Um, I mean, I wouldn't be surprised if he if he somehow just drops like a twelve war season. I, I think the fourteen war is just like uh, a little too um, crazy. But then uh, the other funny thing that I read about Trout, I, I forgot who posted on Twitter, but it was it was like a quote where it was like, uh, "Trout's a lot like like the Amazon stock. You just wonder how it keeps getting better." Um, so I thought, that, I thought that was a really funny comparison to throw out there. He's the Jeff Bezos. Yeah. He probably has smaller arms than Jeff Bezos. <laughs> That's yeah, maybe. maybe. But um, the the only the last thing I was gonna have on Trout, by the way, was that um, he was pretty consistent his first four or five years or so. His WRC plus between 
167 to 176, so basically 67 to 77 percent above league average. Then these last two years, he's all of a sudden pushed up into the 180s. So last year, 181. He's continuing that with 184 this year. So uh, he just keeps getting better. And uh, the only thing that worries me is I said this to Sean earlier, but uh, they did an interview when he was in Philly, and he's from uh, New Jersey, so not too far from there. And I think Philly is his team. But uh, they asked him, like, you know, what is, would he ever consider playing for Philly? And then, you know, he was just sort of the, the typical BS. Uh, he's like, I love it in Anaheim, love the organization, got a couple years more on my contract. We'll see what happens. So that kind of scared me a little bit. Like, we'll see what happens. Hmm. That's not what I want to hear. Um, Suds, you got anything else for us? Or are we uh, calling it a, uh, an end to your maiden voyage here on the Road of Pod? <laughs> Uh, well, the the one uh, other story that just came out on on baseball so that was pretty pretty funny, like kind of wild was so with like the Robinson Cano thing. I don't know if you guys saw this, but like Tashira actually said he wasn't surprised. Um, from, like like that that part to me was like pretty pretty crazy. Where it's just like uh, it's like yeah, I'm really not surprised this guy was got, got suspended for uh, for the uh, PEDs. So I thought I thought that was a really funny story. He's gotta be like, thanks, bro. He made it too. Yeah, didn't they yeah, win the final together? They probably did, right? Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna love seeing each other at the ten year anniversary. I'm sure. Yeah, I mean the the, the funny one was uh, where he's just like, yeah, you guys you guys know I love Robbie, but I, I'm just not surprised. I don't want to get into it more right now. I'm just not surprised. It was just really funny. Where uh, just like like I uh, like. Uh, because he, he kept referencing like the biogenesis things. Apparently, uh, Cano's assistant is shared with someone else who was part of that biogenesis scandal way back then. Um, but but yeah, that was, that was kind of funny. Where it just seemed like the share was totally throwing him under the bus there. So uh, I think the ten years actually next year, unfortunately. But it would have been really funny if it was this year during his suspension, even. Um. Sorry, I, I zoned out there for a sec. But uh, Aaron, <laughs> <laughs> what else better? Are, are we uh, we moving on? Hey, I, I, I feel good about baseball. I mean, besides um, appreciate you coming on. You can definitely feel free to, to chime in on the Seinfeld segment if you like. But it totally understand if you're not able to stick around. Certainly, yeah. we need to have you back in the future, man. Yeah, unfortunately, I don't think I have the the same Seinfeld understanding that uh, that you guys do. I, I do have uh, plenty of shit shows under my belt. Luckily, I've I've been pretty good at watching TV over the few the past few years. But uh, I think I'll set out the Seinfeld one for uh, for today. It's true. You, you guys do like those shit shows. Hey, I mean, can't watch Eric Andre. I guess uh, what else? What else are you watching? But hey, that was actually uh, a pretty funny show. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I just kind of like Eric Andre. Oh, oh no! But um, so I guess before we get into that, as you sign up, any anywhere uh, our listeners of one or two should should go find you. What was that? Sorry. Said uh, as you uh, as you sign off, we head into our Seinfeld segment. Anywhere our listeners of one to two people should go and uh, find find what you're working on, or just kind of connect with you. Uh, as as the, one of the one to two listeners, I, I don't think uh, I'm not really super yeah. active on any social media, so uh, <laughs> not, not really a place to go check me out. But uh, yeah, maybe, maybe in right. the future. All right, fair enough. Well, uh, appreciate you coming on. Okay, yeah, definitely. Thanks, Edzik. <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. see you guys. Thank <laughs> you.
for Brooksy, we've got uh, got final segment here. I don't know if you want to kick us off on the Seinfeld. Um, we are on number six this week, counting down our top ten. Yeah, bro. Uh, you want me to kick it off, or what are you feeling? Yeah, yeah. Let's kick. Let's have you kick it off. All right. So I will hit you with the airport. Oh, I thought we talked. We haven't talked about this one yet. I have not talked about it. Oh, okay. Well, no, I haven't talked about it either. Wow, that, dude, this one's amazing. By the way, I love this one. It, this it one was really, right after uh, the contest, I think. Yes, dude. And dude, can we imagine going back in time? So this is season four, episode twelve. This is late nineteen ninety-two. Yeah. And dude, what a one-two punch they had there with those back-to-back episodes. Yeah, no, that's that season four or five combo. It was a great time to be alive. Oh, man. That was like the Kobe and Shaq of, of Seinfeld era. Um, no, it was. So, look, for the uninitiated, Jerry and Elaine are coming back from St. Louis. They're flying into New York. They have Kramer and George picking them up, right? And so, on the one hand, you have George and Kramer going back and forth between first they're at JFK, then they're sent to LaGuardia to pick them up, and then they have to go back to JFK as George. Yeah when they find out they've been rerouted once again. Uh, Elaine, so there's so many classic lines in this one. First off, right at the beginning, you have the whole Elaine checking her bags thing. And then we get $5 a bag is what the guy cat tells them. And I know that's always kind of been a favorite of yours. Yeah. Well, then then Elaine's like, $5 a bag? I don't think so. And then the the guy was like, look, you asked, I told you. (laughs) Right, I'm gonna be honest. It actually does sound a little high, right? Especially considering that was probably closer to about. Oh 10 yeah, <laughs> super high. Yeah, um, but anyway, so you know, they get to the plane, and the issue is they only have a one up uh, first class seat, which Jerry selfishly takes because he explains to Elaine she's never had first class; she doesn't know what she's missing by not having it. So Jerry's having this awesome flight with the model and champagne. Elaine is just in the seventh circle of hell, and you actually get a David cameo where she takes his kosher meal, and he says he forgot when he didn't order it. You know, yeah. Well, he really took her meal. He he had ordered the kosher meal oh, ahead of time, and he forgot. Right, and she's like You're eating my food. Right now, look, the Jerry and Elaine, as we've talked about before, you really want to have four strong individual. Seinfeld moments for, for a really classic episode, right? For their four key characters. And in this yeah. one, I think you kind of get that, but while Jerry and Elaine are pretty strong here, I think the episodes made by the George and Kramer fiasco going back and forth between JFK and LaGuardia, um, you have George, when they finally get to the airport, he's excited because he looks in, what is it, TV Guide? And there's that, a there's uh, Time Magazine. Thank you, Time Magazine. And he says there's a blurb about him and Jerry. And then, yeah. of course, he gets into the whole uh, run-in with the, the murderer, I guess, right? Who's was on the cover. He yeah. says, you're a blurb. And I know you love that. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we also have uh, Reamer, who thinks he spots his old roommate, uh, Don Grossbard. And <laughs> 20 years ago, he owes him some money. Do you remember how much money that is, by the way? It was like two hundred eighty-two dollars or something like that. 
Something like that. Yeah. So look, I off the top of my head, I actually didn't write it down when I watched the episode. <laughs> Wikipedia says it's two forty, but that actually doesn't sound right. Uh, okay. Okay. Well, I was close. I mean, I, I could buy two forty maybe. So you get a classic Kramer moment where he wants to buy tickets to get onto the flight to get the money back from Grossbard. George goes along with it and he tells him to buy two tickets so that he can get <laughs> double the miles or the points or whatever. Yeah, uh, of course, part. Kramer gets on the flight. He <laughs> he gets up in Grossbard's grill. Um, doesn't really go according to plan. Um, and it especially doesn't go according to plan for George, right? Because he got non-refundable tickets, so he can't even... I love that part. And the right. episode ends with George stuck on the plane as Kramer is picking up Jerry in the lane. Yeah. So this really, for me, this is automatic top ten stuff. Dude, yeah, and we're starting to we're starting to uh, cannibalize each other a little bit, unfortunately. But that's great. That's kind of cool that we're agreeing on some of these. Um, one thing that you kind of glossed over that I, I love was, um, yeah, I don't know what the hell George is thinking, but. Like you know how Kramer is all weird about oh he's always he never has his wallet on him or whatever it is so he wants to go get gross part in the plane think he still has time but for whatever reason he can't buy his own ticket I don't know why so he asked George like give me your credit card give me my credit card let's tell me what it's for and then he's like I'm just gonna go get gross part get your money back get off the plane your tickets are to a dime and then um, George is like oh, that's a funny idea he's like well you gotta get two tickets. This way I get double the miles. Like I, I don't know why he would think you get double the miles. If you return it, you don't get the miles, but whatever. It's right. pretty funny. And then um yeah. anyways, Kramer comes back with two tickets. And then George is like reading them really closely just to make sure whatever. And then uh, he's like, You idiot, you buy non refundable you got the super savers, these are non refundable tickets. <laughs> and then uh, Kramer's like, Oh shit, sorry, you should talk me into into the deal. Um, <laughs> and uh Kramer's like, I'll tell you what, I'll split it with you. I love that little sequence there. You're right, though. I mean, I actually really like both um, both storylines here. I love the not necessarily Jerry and Elaine per se, but I love Elaine segment this time where she's yeah. in the she's in coach. It's pretty amazing. And then um, of course Jerry and George Wells. This one, this one's um, man, it's killing it for me. If I may add one more point, so on the whole Kramer not being able to pay thing, I believe we actually have a, a episode down the line where Kramer says he only has hundreds on him. So. <laughs> You'd actually think he'd be well primed to actually buy the tickets if he's got hundreds of bills on him. Yeah, you're right, he does. I think if George is looking for cash from the mango, I think it might have yeah, been. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Remember, they only got hundreds. But yeah. um, th- dude, this this actually dovetails really nicely with the uh, the episode I was talking about. And so somehow in the last three episodes we've talked about, going back to last time where I talked about the contest, you talking about the airport here, and now mine today, which is the Virgin. We're talking about three sequential episodes. So Virgin was season four, episode 10. Then you had that followed up by the contest in episode 11. And then you had the airport in episode 12. So I think I think I just remember this this um, this sequence being great. And so I've just, I guess, doubled down on, on all aspects of it. And uh, I think the Virgin specifically kind of laid a nice foundation for the next two. Because I, I think I, I know I had the contest last week. I think I probably put the contest ahead of the Virgin uh, after rewatching it. But um, but the Virgin was good. Yeah, that's where you have, um, of course, Jerry dating, you know, the Virgin, uh, Marla, and uh, George. This is where they, they start writing the pilot, and George uh, wants to end his relationship with Susan so that, like, all of a sudden now he's able to pick up women because, you know, he's a writer, he's actually has something interesting to say. And um, this is also the one where they're starting to, I think, they, I think this is the one where they pitch the idea to NBC of, 
um, <laughs> the judge, the judge decreeing the, uh, the Jerry to be his butler. So that, that actually ends up going over kind of well, even though Jerry wasn't expecting it to. Um, so yeah, I mean, I, mean, I, think, uh, I think you even have George getting Susan fired in this one by kissing her. So it's, it's definitely an interesting one. I always loved, just a quick aside, I always loved how the whole butler storyline kind of, <laughs> to me, it struck a little too close to like modern day slavery and I wasn't really comfortable with that. But uh, I love how it just kind of flew under the radar there. I'm back. Sorry. Continue. <laughs> I got cut off. You're back and you sound much, much better. <laughs> oh, wow. I'm on my phone now. Sorry, but I got, you, you had a nice flow going. You were saying you really like how uh, something about George um, or something along those lines. And I don't know, just cut, cut well, off. Well, I was saying like as a quick aside that I always thought that the whole Butler thing was a little too oh, close for right. comfort, to, like modern day slavery. Right. Like Ooh. it's just, I'll just kind of gloss <laughs> over that, but uh, okay. Hey, it's a stupid, uh, pilot who cares <laughs> no you're right i didn't even think about that actually that's an interesting angle yeah i mean the essentials in general kind of did um i don't want to say a good job because i don't want to place any kind of judgment on it but they they did a they they were able to weave through some potential landmines fairly seamlessly without too many issues or it blowing up in their face so they always seem to be pretty um pretty adept at kind of doing that so it's an interesting point though now let's go, you know, let's take a little uh, deeper dive on this one. So tell me like what really stood out to you from the Virgin, like from a, uh, just a comedy standpoint. Dude, you know what? The, the odd thing about this episode and I probably should have rewatched it, but I think I was just kind of combining these three episodes in general. Like I, I just remember really liking the sequence of them. Uh, so between the Virgin, the contest and the airport. And this was one of those where I, I just loved every aspect of the pilot getting off the ground and, um, and essentially that, but like, dude, when I was reading, when I was re reading up on, it, I'm just trying to think, like, I don't remember why exactly, uh, why I chose this episode to be so I out there for me. Like, I, I got to rewatch it. I got to figure out what, why it's uh, number six for me. Sounds good. I, I do know this isn't so much a joke as just as much as it kind of shows that sign really was kind of forward thinking. I love when Elaine is talking about her diaphragm with the Virgin, and you just see like how free, you know, freewheeling she is about it. She's a very metropolitan, you know, twenty first. Yeah late 20th century woman and meanwhile you got this kind of prude with her and it's just it's not going over well i always like that right no you're right though actually i mean this i actually never even thought about that i didn't think twice about it just because i'm watching it typically um you know like well into the 2000s so like i'm maybe 2012 at the earliest or so maybe a little bit earlier i don't know but um this was you know in the 90s so it wasn't quite the same as it is today so that's that is pretty cool 
Yeah, good stuff, bud. Um, all right, so let's just reiterate, where can we find you on social media? And we'll let the yeah. next week we'll be yeah. back ready to go on our usual Wednesday morning podcast routine, I think. Yep, of course, of course. I mean, just usual for me. Uh, you can find, you can obviously uh, find me on Twitter. Considering rolling out the Roto Pope handle at some point, we'll see. Um, there we go. Rotopope.com as usual, and then I've been contributing to foul-territory.com. Um, and trying, but trying to work on a, a hitter's piece there. As I, I don't know, I for whatever reason, I just tend to be more comfortable and more interested in looking and pitching. Um, and that's why I feel like, generally speaking, my team tend to perform better on the pitching side, and I always have trouble on the hitting side. So I need to, I need to spend some time thinking about hitting, and I'm gonna write some hitting pieces coming up. So keep keep an eye out for me there. Sounds good, but I'm looking forward to it. And then on my end, let's just say go Rockets. And other than that, we'll All catch right. you guys. Wait. Sounds good. Thanks for a great talk to you.